Radio Welcome to the live recording of Radio Spätkauf on Sunday, January 22. I'm Joel Dolroy. And I am Joran Mandek. And I am uh, the wise and powerful Daniel Stern. And uh, a special welcome to our audience here at Comedy Cafe Berlin. Give yourselves a round of applause. On this episode, we have two special guests. We have podcaster Diana Arapovich, who will be here to talk about her investigation into Berlin's marijuana market. How much is it worth and how likely is legalization? And we've got our regular guest, Conrad Werner, who's going to join us to talk about the saga of Andre Holm, the housing academic whose career has been ruined by his brief association with the Stasi. Short news. Uh, the, the polar bear that was born at Tier Park a few weeks ago has been inspected, and it is a male. Um, that, <laughs> that is it. Uh, and now there's a naming competition. So if you have a good oh. name for a polar bear... Is this one of the things where we have a cute bear and then we name him Bodie McBoat or something? <laughs> is this... That's a good suggestion. Guys, please, if you're on the internet, be responsible at how you're going to name this adorable bear. We don't have to humiliate him. Look, it's a big responsibility naming thi <laughs> things. Yeah. Well, uh, in, in other baby news, Dan Stern has become a father a few days ago. Congratulations, Daniel and Melissa. Thank you. Uh, we, <laughs> Both of us. We don't, you know, we don't want to throw your baby into the spotlight uh, of public life so early, but I guess it is going to become pretty apparent over the next uh, months or years of the show that you're going to be talking a lot about Kita placements. Yeah, I'm and, uh, <laughs> So we might as well warn the guests that there's a lot more child-related content that's going to be coming up on the show in the future. Guys, we've got a 30-minute bit on strollers later that you are going to love. <laughs> Whew. I mean, the jewels. Up. Is it worth the money? I don't know. So last week, Donald Trump was sworn in as president business, a tragedy. Well, uh, Joel, I think you're mispronouncing fuckface. <laughs> actually, that's, I actually like, I like fuck too much to use that. Uh, you're mispronouncing warm diary. Uh, let's just say, could we just say some guy? Can I point out that the funniest part about uh, Donald Trump becoming president was that Dan has decided to learn German as a result? <laughs> oh, yeah. I burned my passport, so I'm stuck here now. <laughs> So it turned out that Berlin came very close to having Trump's name oh. blazing across its skyline. How about, seriously, just some guy. Some guy, okay, yeah. Uh, in the year 2000, some guy established a company here with plans to build a hotel tower at Alexanderplatz where there is a 150-meter building height limit. But the plans fell apart because uh, he f refused to build anything under 200 meters. <laughs> he also had plans in 2004 to build a casino in, at Frankfurt Order where the last full casino license was up for grabs. By the way, for, as someone who now speaks German, that means Frankfurt Ohr. <laughs> <laughs> he met with the mayor of both Berlin and Frankfurt Ohr and uh, promised huge investments. It's pronounced huge. In the, uh, in the end, however, none of this happened and uh, Trump quit his own company and the investment uh, company actually ended up suing him as a result and there was all <laughs> sorts of scandals that followed. And we, but basically, Berlin had a very close call. Yeah, and uh, the inauguration of some guy as president uh, also inspired hundreds of Berliners on Saturday to go and demonstrate against his rather misogynistic and xenophobic views. And, um, you know, maybe we should have just let him build that 200-meter tower. Maybe it would have all 
turn out differently. Yeah, the, you know, sliding doors, his whole life would have been different, no yeah. president. He would have yeah. been preoccupied with that. It would have been given us a, a better place to protest some guy than at the Brandenburger tour, <laughs> which is uh, not really related in any way except for the sort of wall Truly. aspect. Uh, here's an update about the BER AirPod. <laughs> this can, it, can anyone guess what the update is? <laughs> Yes, and you are correct. Uh, the scheduled opening date has been delayed yet again. <laughs> the airport manager, Karsten Mühlenfeld, announced to, uh, that the builders won't meet the December 2017 deadline. And then how aiming for 2018. Y you know, I, fe I feel like, there's, like they should just stop setting deadlines really and dates. Should. Just one day... Have the arrival. Wait, we're going when you're searching for your flights, you type in BER anyway, right? So someday, all the arriving flights will just land there, and they'll be like, "Yeah, we opened it. Big deal." <laughs> so so were, were we late? I don't know. Yeah. So the problems that were discovered this time were something to do with the sprinklers and also some some dysfunctional door handles that might have hindered <laughs> an escape during a uh, emergency situation. Um, the problems, however, aren't all that new, and now the manager Mühlenfeld probably likely knew of these delays earlier and might have just not told everybody about it before the election. So another little update on the uh, airport was that uh, Maisie and I took actually, we took a little tour of, of the airport a few weeks ago. You can go do a public tour there. That's one way you can get in the building. And one thing we learned there that I was interested to find out is that uh, I will never set foot in BER airport because they are going to continue operating Schoenfeld for all the cheap airlines, which are the only ones I can afford. <laughs> so if you, like me, fly Ryanair and EasyJet, there's a good chance that you'll ever, never actually have to use BER. So get used to Schoenfeld, everybody. So do you remember the fuss over Rigastrasse last summer when the former squat was raided by the police, an action that was later found by a court to be unlawful? Well, the name of the real owner of that building has never actually been revealed. He's hiding behind a hedge fund, or she. Um, it is thought to be a Russian businessman. Well, it seems that somebody really, really wants to know who the owner of the building is because on New Year's Eve, the lawyer representing the unnamed owner reported that his office had been broken into and files relating to Rigo Strasser were stolen. Now, uh, last week, someone posted some of those files online. They actually posted a speeding ticket from the lawyer, uh, which included his home address, and that made the lawyer very worried about his family's safety because uh, earlier, um, another lawyer representing the same owner had his car set on fire. So things are getting very scurrilous in, uh, around Rigostrasse. Berlin News in English. So we're going to welcome to Radio Spätkauf our first guest of the night. Would you please put your hands together for Diana Arapovich? Um, Diana is a fellow podcaster. Diana works for Radio 1 and she has put together a podcast that you can find on their website called Die Stadt und das Gras. Uh, and Let me step in here, Joel. That means the city and the grass. It's, it's Dan baby steps. It's very Dan good. Dan making Trona's German learning yes, promise. Yeah, so <laughs> let's get back to our guest. Uh, the podcast that uh, Diana created is a fantastic five-part series looking into Berlin and its relationship with marijuana. Um, and uh, you started out, Diana, by wanting to ask the question, um, 
Will the city legalize? What is the city's approach? Um, and what's the history behind it all? And how did, uh, how did this all start? So uh, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit up front about why you decided to do this series in the first place? It, it started last year when I um, did a longer research on Golitsa Park. And I got in contact with a lot of dealers there and the police officers, which um, took me to a uh, tour through the Görlitzer Park. And they told me about the whole cannabis market and how they try to catch all these dealers and the organized crime. And they can't, they're they not successful at all. And so I asked my boss, Robert Skopin, um, what about doing a new research project about cannabis in Berlin? And then it started. So has Berlin always been such a liberal city? What did you find out? When did this start? This Because I guess most people who come to Berlin, they, they pretty much quickly notice that, okay, there's a lot of marijuana being consumed here and sold here. But when did that actually start? As Berlin being so liberal? Um, first of all, cannabis is still illegal. So carrying <laughs> cannabis around or... Um, possessing it, 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 it's illegal in Germany because it's German law and this um, law can only be changed by the German parliament. But um, in the early 90s, there was a judge um, called Wolfgang Neskowitsch and um, he didn't want to um, send people to prison because just of one or two grams of cannabis. And then uh, he forced... Um, how do you call it? Bundesverfassungsgericht in uh, English? The Constitutional oh, Court. <laughs> <laughs> I got this one down. The Constitutional Court, yeah. Okay, the Constitutional Court. Uh, and uh, they discussed this law again and again and again. They said, okay, if you're just um, having cannabis to use it for yourself, you can have like, like um, a few grams. And Berlin decided to have like 10 grams as tolerated and Bavaria is very strict. I think you had to just, you're allowed to have just like five or six grams, like Baden-Württemberg, only five to six grams. But Berlin said, okay, 10 grams is, is okay. But, but is it's still illegal. So if the police catches you, they are legally obligated to do a Polizeidienstliche Erkennung, that's what you call it, that they have to do a report to write down your name, to write down your ID number, address and everything, and they have to send it to the public attorney. And the a public attorney is at the end the person who can make the decision to send you to court or to drop the case. In most of the cases they drop the case because it's just less than 10 grams. But if the, you got cut like two, twice or three times, then they can give you like a, a one or two months, um, sent, how, how do you say that, um, suspended sentence? Yep. So basically, yeah. there's a, a conception a lot of people have that, you, that, it is, um, that the police are obliged to do this, to, to give you a, a free pass, but actually they could charge you properly and actually uh, criminally prosecute you if they wanted to. So it's, it's, not yeah. a, it's not a law in yeah, place. Yeah, actually, they are legally ob ob obligated. Yeah. I think they have to do this. So, of, there, of course, there are some police officers who just say, okay, just, just get it rid of it and, and, and just, just throw it away. But actually, they are obligated, ob obliged to do that. But what happens if you get caught as a dealer? Because I've, I guess the, people, the smokers are getting off pretty easy, but what about the dealers? How, what do they go through if they get caught? I talked to one dealer who had a very well business for eight years. He, he earned like 1,000, 1,500 1, euros a week. And then he got caught with uh, 500 grams, one pound. And oh. then um, he went to court, of course. And there he got like 24 months. 
24 months for uh, five. But 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 um, not in jail. S uh, how do you say it? Sent suspended. Sentence? Suspended sentence. Yeah. Right. Okay. And mm -hmm. um, so it's 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 uh, it seems like it's not um, it's still pretty liberal here. But that, that has was that always the case? For example, I know in your podcast you talk about what it was like in the Weimar era before World War II, um, where you point out that they were selling uh, marijuana cigarettes at the bar in 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 in, in yep, uh, cabaret yeah. bars in Berlin. Yeah, there was nothing like a Betäubungsmittelgesetz back then. There was <laughs> no drug law at all. So you could buy your cannabis cigarettes in the nightclubs. Um, you could buy weed or cannabis at a pharmacy. Doctors described it uh, against back pain. Um, it was very liberal. And there was a huge hemp industry as well here around in, this, in that region. You can, um, I can only recommend to go to the Hanfmuseum in Berlin-Mitte, which uh, have um, documented a history of drug prohibition in Germany, especially in Berlin, very well. So you've started talking there about uh, the, the weed economy. What is the marijuana economy in Berlin? How much is it actually worth? Mm, it's, it's hard to say because, of course, there are no official figures about that. But uh, fact is that Berlin is the capital of cannabis in Germany. Um, there, with the most illegal farms, um, I went to the um, evidence room of the Berlin police <laughs> and it's huge huge storehouses packed with all the things you need to 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 run a, a cannabis plantation and um, it's with grow tents ventilation systems heat lamps um, fertilizer are they in operation <laughs> no, they're, no. Just they're just stuck. Okay, it's yeah, but clear. it's packed. It's packed, and and they say um, they discover one farm a week, and last year or 2015 they um, seized like 28,000 plants just in Berlin, and it's only a small, small, a little part of the real amount existing. They say, and these farms are everywhere in apartments, uh, empty storage places, just. Very close to this place it, in Mainzer Straße, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> found a huge, oh, huge plantation with 19,000 uh, uh, plants, and um, it has. It was how many plants? 19,000. 19,000 plants. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and uh, the Berlin farmers they are providing the whole eastern. German market and the southern eastern German market, especially Bavarian dealers, they like to come here and buy it here because the laws are, or the law is, it's the same law, but here it's more tolerated. If you got caught, you don't get that. So basically, a lot of the stuff that's sold here is actually grown near here. It's not imported. Yeah, from if you if you buy cannabis here, it's 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 very likely that it's it's grown here. So we're supporting the local economy. Yeah, that's if we great. go out and <laughs> yeah. know, job creation. Very progressive. Yeah, yeah. Even there, even Dutch dealers coming from the Netherlands buying wheat here in in, in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> to sell it in their coffee shops. Because in the Netherlands, and that, that's something that was quite new for me as well, is uh, it's, it's legal to sell it in the coffee shops, but it's illegal to buy um, for your stock in the coffee shop. So the, the dealers have to buy it on the black market to huh. sell it legally okay. in their coffee shops. So that's why they're coming here to Berlin and buying it. The, the, the quality is quite good here. Is it identified in those shops as Berlin weed? <laughs> like, do they <laughs> no, say their source? No, they don't say They don't say it. Special Gerlitzer blend, But, but to, to give you maybe a number, it's, um, the experts say there are 24,000 daily consumers in Berlin. And if you just count, like, saying, or if you just say they, they sm smoke one joint a day, <laughs> um, it makes 26 million euros a year they're spending on cannabis. And these are only the daily consumers, not included all the tourists or occasional consumers. Right. So 
And that gets to the, um, the question that your whole podcast was asking was about the legalization, whether the city was ready for legalizing weed. Um, and my question to you is, um, do we actually need legalization when it seems like it's pretty tolerant uh, and, you know, if you want to smoke weed, you can. And so what, what's your view after looking into it all? Is, is the kind of gray zone tolerance we have enough or do we need or, you know, do the people you spoke to at least say that we need more for any particular reason? Actually, there are two points I find, found very interesting. Um, the one point is that the police officers, they, they are actually working for the trash bin. If they are um, catching consumers, because the, the, the biggest part of um, drug crime in Berlin are um, um, user consumer-related delicts, mean, meaning that, that like 80% of um, the drug crime is, is produced by consumers. So the, they, their, their cases got dropped. Uh, dropped anyway. So it's wasting so a lot of police it's, time. It's, yeah, it's a total waste of, of police time. And on the other side, um, we have this um, prohibition now since 50 years or 40 years now almost, more than 40 years, and uh, the amount of illegal drugs, especially cannabis, is rising on the black market. The number of people consuming cannabis is rising, especially among young people. And it's definitely clear, and that's what all the experts told me I'm, I'm talking to, I talked to, is that um, the risk for young people, children, teenagers, um, is much higher to get mental health problems by using cannabis. And right now, what we do now have is no control of quality, no control at all. So it's actually a free market, but uh, illegal free market. So why don't we try another way, like other uh, countries like Colorado or California very soon, or Portugal? And that's the other point that's interesting to note, is that you trace back the history of prohibition, and you trace it back to the US, where, as you point out, it almost it came from almost a racially motivated um, perspective there, then went around the world, and now the US is going in the other direction, and uh, it seems like Germany is going to, what, they have to follow again? Were we waiting for... Actually, that's what they're doing right now, right? Just last week, the German parliament um, approved this new law, cannabis as medicine. It's now much easier for cancer patients or pain patients to get their cannabis right now because they don't need this super special permission to get cannabis. They can go to their doctor and they describe uh, the, the, the cannabis. Um, and that's how it started also in Colorado, right? They had like f f several years of medical cannabis and now they changed two years ago to recreational cannabis. And this is what some experts also said to me. Um, it's it's going to change soon in Germany as well, like in seven to ten years. As, as soon as they see, oh, our societies don't collapse because more people are <laughs> smoking weed occasionally. And so what then um, is likely to happen in Berlin? Because we have a coalition here that is um, in favor of loosening drug laws. Uh, the Green Party in Friedrichshain, Kreuzberg, tried to get uh, permission to open a cafe that failed. Um, but what's going to happen in Berlin on specifically? And can it only happen in Berlin or does it have to happen all across Germany first? Actually, that, that's what they announced in the coalition uh, contract, right? Um, that they're going to apply um, for a scientific attended pilot project again, like Kreuzberg did in um, 2015, but they failed. And they failed because of the German law, which is again, a national law, and it only, only can be changed by the German parliament. And as long as the German parliament, in, in the German parliament, the majority is 
con conservative parties who are re against um, the use of recreational cannabis. So, so is this coalition agreement just symbolic then, if it can't actually come into effect? Yeah, wh what they say is um, we're going to apply and apply and apply and, and maybe... Wear them down slowly until they agree, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. right. Um, so <laughs> I don't. Know. I feel. Did you say? Did you say the estimate was twenty four thousand regular users in Berlin? That's off Baby by users. a power. <laughs> uh, let's just as a like. We, we could do a quick poll no, here. No, don't don't make our audience do this. It's, you They're anonymous. The it's an audio podcast. <laughs> Who? Anyone here smoke weed? The, wait, the, wait, the camera is not wait, pointed wait, at wait, you. Make some noise if you if, anyone, if you if you smoke marijuana here. Can I okay. say something? It's, it says that forty percent of the Berliners have experienced cannabis. <laughs> so, like forty percent. So forty. A lot of you just lied. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if you're interested in this topic, you should definitely listen to Diana's podcast. The one thing we didn't tell you about the podcast is that it's in German. So, all you English speakers out there who uh, haven't uh, started learning German, now you've got to. And actually, I encourage you, if you've learned a little bit of German, to give it a go. I know you. You might not because you might be scared of it, but if you try, you'll fi actually realize you understand a lot more than you think you do, and you'll learn some new words, and you'll learn some new interesting facts as well. So, Dan, um, next week I want your report. Card yeah, guys, if, you, if there's anything you don't understand, just email me. I'll, I'll, t I'll tell you what she was talking about. It's like no problem at all. Cool. But thank you very much for coming on and telling us about the show. I hope everyone goes away and listens to it, um, and we look forward to whatever you create next as well. If you want to find it, where do you find the show? It's on radio1.de or on uh, iTunes as well. And you and look for Die Stadt und das Gras. Right. Okay. Thank you very much, Diana. Thank you. More of our fantastic jingles from the band Ducks. We, we right. st I still love them. Welcome back to Radio Spekauf. We have our second guest of the show, Mr. Konrad Werner from the podcast News des Nachrichtens. Welcome. Hello. 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 Conrad, in, in his opening remarks, Joel referred to you as a regular guest. Yeah. I mean, how does that promotion feel? Are you Well, are I was ready? hoping that that, that uh, music could be my theme tune. Oh, done. Could done. Do no, that? making a note right here. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel, um, I feel really honored. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year to you, too. We've got um, uh, Conrad on because we need to go through a very detailed political topic, and I know Conrad's uh, very okay. up on, on the news. The topic we're talking about is Andre Holm. Now, if you've been following our podcast, you should already be very well aware of who Mr. Andre Holm is and what the situation is. We're not going to go uh, into too much depth about the history. Um, listen to the last two shows if you want to find out a little bit more. But the short version is that um, Andre Holm is a well-known sociologist and anti-gentrification activist, um, and he was forced to resign as Berlin's Secretary of Housing after weeks of criticism because when he was 18 years old, he trained for five months to become a Stasi officer in 1989. Now, in 2005, when he applied for a job at the Humboldt University, he had to fill in a questionnaire where he was asked whether he had ever worked for the Stasi, and he gave a half-true response. He, he said that he had performed military service with an army regiment that was attached to the Stasi. Now, uh, Conrad, on your show, on News des Nachrichtens, which I encourage you to listen to as well, um, you pointed out that it's, it's often not the mistake that people get in trouble for, but what they do after the mistake that to cover their tracks that ends yeah. up getting them in trouble. That's what happened to Nixon. 
That's <laughs> what he said. It was the cover-up. It wasn't the scandal itself. It was trying to hide it. And I think that, um, I mean, Andre Holm, like, like he did, like, he wasn't, he said he, at first, like, the problem was he, at first he said, oh, I forgot. And I didn't really fill it in properly. And then he sort of changed his story and said, yeah, I kind of, I, I did do a little bit, but I wasn't really thinking when I wrote it down. It was like he, changed, he kind of changed the story and that made him look really bad. So, I mean, he did, he did like, he didn't help himself. And the reason we're talking about that mistake is because that was the reason that the mayor, Michael Muller, used when he called for Holm to, to step down. He said uh, it, it's not about his stars he passed, it's because he made this false um, cro cross in his, in his job application at Humboldt University. Yeah. So then it, got, it went further. Humboldt University announced that they were going to review his records and then last week they announced that they're going to fire him as an academic or that he wouldn't be welcome back. So this man went from uh, being appointed to a, a very important position in the city council to being out of a job entirely. Um, and this led to student protests. There's currently students occupying a building at Humboldt University right now. There's solidarity actions going on, um, and uh, there's, yeah, this, this is ongoing. Holm himself has said that he's going to challenge this in court. Um, there's some lawyers who've said that it wasn't even correct for Humboldt to be asking these sorts of questions to the people applying for their jobs in 2005, so he might have a chance through some kind of em employment law. Um, and Delinka have said that they're not going to let um, Holm uh, hang, that they're going to try and find a position for him somewhere, okay. somehow. Find him another job some, in, for the linker. And, well, frankly, they kind of, they, they, they really should because they were, uh, although they're the party that promoted him to the position, they also yeah. are the ones who kind of set him up for failure in a way, aren't they? I guess so. I mean, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's not really fair. I mean, everyone knew, like, uh, all, the, all three parties knew about what, what he'd done, because that was in the, it was already, uh, it was, you know, as I said, he'd filled in this questionnaire, so it was all publicly known, and he was already a famous, oh, sorry, <laughs> a famous person, and he was already on TV a lot, and people kind of knew, and, and they also knew that he'd once um, been arrested, but then the charges had been dropped because of these other, uh, you know, far-left uh, <laughs> links, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I think that, um, so, yeah, I think, so, it's a bit ridiculous, because it's like, Everyone knew everything already, and then and then the, the, he was just appointed, and then people just like jumped on him, and I think that it's uh, you know because people had other concerns like the, the the Berlin voters. There was a poll before the election last year, and like uh, amongst the top concerns was housing, you know, like rent rises. Um, all these things with, uh, 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 you know, like the, the, you know, the gentrification, people being driven out, homelessness is rising. All these things were like the major concerns of, of people. And that's why he was appointed. And he was considered like this really credible uh, sociologist who had this, uh, who had been an active in this for a long time. So people were like really, and all the activists, the Mutafa'ai and all those kind of people were like really behind this appointment. And there was a big petition to support him and the students were supporting him and his academic colleagues. Leagues all supported him, so I think that he, he did have a little bit of time in the Stasi, but this was an issue that was really important to Berliners, and now it's like not even in the press anymore. And uh, well, this all followed because of a very heavy press campaign, and that's the way it usually goes down on these kind of political scandals, is you get some heat, and then it builds up and builds up, and if, if at least one newspaper keeps the heat on for long enough, then um, the people end up having to resign to save the coalition or just because they're becoming a distraction. That's the line you often hear, you know, I have to, I have to step down now because I'm becoming a distraction for the government and they need to get on with their job. And, and actually, this whole thing uh, made a lot of people look pretty bad. It made the mayor look pretty bad because he um, jumped in and bullied the the Linker party into forcing um, Holm. He, he, was, he was bullying the Linker around as well as Holm. 
Um, the Linker looked pretty bad because they really should have been prepared for this and had to figure this out a long, a long time ago, what was going to happen. Um, but the, I think the person who came out looking out best out of all this is Andre Holm himself because effectively by resigning, he saved the coalition. Um, because the way it all went down was um, Holm was going to be, uh, the announcement was going to come from Humboldt University about whether they were going to fire him or not. That announcement was due uh, on Wednesday. The Friday before, or the Saturday before, is when Michael Muller, the mayor, came out and said he should resign. So Muller really jumped the gun. All he had to do was wait till Wednesday when we'd have some sort of, you know, um, moral backing as to why he thought Holmes should resign. But he jumped the gun, um, demanded Holmes' resignation, and this created a standoff between the SPD and Die Linke, who are in a coalition together. And effectively what it meant is that Die Linke had to stand up and say, no, we're not going to accept this. And it looked, there was a period there, like on, on Sunday, where there were talk about whether the coalition would actually fall apart, because Die Linke, um, you know, had got their backs up and felt the need to defend themselves. And it's important to remember that this isn't just any issue for Die Linke. The housing is the issue that they really um, are passionate about. And it's also not the first time Die Linke are in coalition with the SPD. The last time was in the mid-2000s under um, Klaus Wolverite. And that time around, Die Linke really got pushed around. Um, Wolverite wanted to sell off a lot of social housing, and Die Linke went along with it. And it, it's to their, uh, to their eternal shame. They're very shameful about it. They're embarrassed about it. And they're determined never to be pushed around again by the SPD on the issue of housing. So here you have the mayor coming in and saying, you can't employ that man as your housing minister or your housing secretary. So of th course, the reaction from the Linke was going to be, you know, this, we, we can't stand for this. And the only way this whole crisis was resolved was by Holm himself saying, don't worry, guys, I'm going to resign. This is enough. Um, so I think out of all of them, Holmes wanted to look best. Yeah. Any, any, any thoughts on that? <laughs> do, do, do you remember that time you brought someone on our show and then you just yelled at him for 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, he did do some things. In his, he was in office for five weeks, and it was announced this week, I believe, that they've frozen the rent rises on social housing. You know, I want to I just point out that my personal political career went a little longer than his. <laughs> <laughs> and a little more successfully. I didn't, I didn't get fired. <laughs> well done. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, what I think this whole, question, this whole thing raises is, is um, what kind of message is this sending to Berlin political society? Or maybe what, what kind of message are they sending to Holm? Because it seems like this man, all they want him to do is just crawl into a cave and die. Like, there seems to be nothing this man can do in public life to redeem himself. He spent five, minute, five months working for an organization that admittedly was very horrible. It was a secret service that spied on um, yeah. an enormous amount of the population. They imprisoned 200,000 people. To, and, and he spent five months working for them. So they're pretty awful. But when you think about it, what could um, a person do to redeem themselves from that? Well, what this guy did was went and basically devoted his life to making housing affordable. So what more could a person do to try and make up for their bad past than you know, spending 20 years fighting to keep people in their homes, fighting against homelessness, fighting against evictions? Uh, it, it seems like th there's, no, there's nothing this man can do now. I, I don't know how he must be feeling about how the rest of Berlin feels about him. But yeah, you really like him, don't you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> E either that or Joel has like a secret past that he's afraid he's going to turn up one day and just wants to establish a, a, a feeling of forgiveness. Well, I'm also Ca interested about Humboldt University, how, how they could... Um, yeah, because they knew already. How can they sack him now? They, knew, they must have known. And not only that, but it, Humboldt University, correct me if I'm wrong, was the main university of East Germany, right? Correct. 
So, Thank you. how many skeletons are hiding in the closets of all the professors there? If they start going through every professor at Humboldt University, shaking them down and looking at that, they're, they're going to have to fire a lot of people, I'm imagining. I know, there'll be a lot of um, free uh, places for professors. That's why they had that questionnaire in place. <laughs> that possibly illegal one. The possibly illegal one. Well, I want to um, just bring out one more point, <laughs> which is, um, and this is another completely unrelated news story that happened last week. The Lichtenberg District Council... Uh, appointed a man to the Stadtrat, which is the council's executive branch. That man was um, f from the AFD party, because the AFD uh, in Lichtenberg has 12 of the 30 seats, so they're entitled to appoint somebody to the Stadtrat. Now, this man previously worked for the BND. What's the BND, Yuri? Uh, that's for Bundesnachrichtendienst. That's the West German Secret Service. So here we have a man from the AFD who used to work for the West German spying agency who's been allowed to be appointed to a position in council. Meanwhile, someone from the Stasi isn't. Um, no, they're not, they're, of course, there's a huge difference between the BND and the Stasi, but they're still secret services. And uh, if you know, you can work for one and still get a place in politics, but not the other. What does it say? I don't, it's, it's, it's unfair, I think. And I don't think there's anybody <laughs> who would think that what's happened to Holm is possibly fair, surely. I don't but know. it's just an annoying distraction, or a Stasi thing, because it's not what Berliners really want to happen in the city. They, they, you know, this whole coalition was, uh, everyone was like, they had this really positive agenda and they had the, all these, they made all these really good promises about they're going to have something like 50,000 more uh, affordable homes by the end of the, uh, you know, by the end of the, 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 the term. And, and now it's just like all that's gone. And now all we're talking about is this ridiculous thing where he put the wrong answer on a questionnaire. And, and you know, it is bad. Maybe, maybe he is really bad, but it's not what, people are supposed to be what people said they were interested in when they voted and I think that the that the way that it's been reported especially by you know some of the local German Berlin newspapers is just I think it is quite irresponsible but couldn't we even without homes still add affordable housing I mean how important is yeah. this I don't I've never been a housing secretary but it seems like I mean someone else could also do it. I don't like. Yeah, and they could ask him for advice. I mean, they could like secret. They could phone him up. And yeah. Say, what what or, would you do? Or we could just we could like secretly go through his conversations and emails, <laughs> right? I mean, then, yeah, we could just go into him. his computer and yeah. find out what his plans were. I mean, yeah. that's we could hire him to spy on himself. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just brainstorming. <laughs> yeah, we just need a puppet secretary that's on the phone to him at all times. So is is it, I mean is is his firing in any way like really stopping this progress? Well, no, they went ahead and announced this uh, new social uh, flat rent freeze. So they, you know they're still trying to get on with it. And Dilinka do say that you know even without him they're going to still try and pr 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 pursue an agenda, a progressive agenda. But Holm actually wrote a letter, didn't he, last week, where he said that he thought the reason that this all happened was because of his plans, which were very anti-investor. He was yeah. wanting to impose yeah. a, a tax on investments. That, do you think? Conrad, what, is that is this is this a conspiracy against the conspiracy or is this? I mean, like I don't know. I mean, the CDU like definitely wanted him out, and the CDU are like they they, they are sort of backed by you know business people. But I don't. You can't really say. I don't know. I mean, he was really, they, they're really happy. I mean, it's, it's definitely a victory for the um, for the, the property developers. So we'll see what happens now. Uh, we're going to get you to stick around for our next segment, but first. Okay. <laughs> So we're going to keep Conrad on as a guest because uh, on his podcast uh, that I listened to more recently, uh, Conrad outed himself as a former theatre uh, 
aficionado or theater worker. What did you do in the theater? You, you worked for a theater for some I time. I was an assistant director. Assistant. Director's assistant. Depends how you, where you put the wow. word. It now this information... <laughs> Now this information has come to light, I'm, af I'm afraid we're going to have to ask you to leave podcasting. <laughs> okay. This dangerous background is just not reflect what we want. Yeah. I should so have filled in a questionnaire. <laughs> we're, we've, um, we're, um, we're talking about theatre because uh, there's been a minor political artistic scandal brewing in Berlin over the last little while related to the famous Volksbühne Theatre in Berlin at Rosa Luxemburg Platz. Um, and the Volksbühne Theatre has been for a very long time headed by a man named Mr. Frank Karstoff, um, who's a very famous director, probably uh, is he the most famous German director of the last little while, would you say, Conrad? Yes. And <laughs> um, for, for listeners at home, uh, Joel has just put up an incredibly unflattering photo of this man. <laughs> but, but accurate. Okay. Sorry. It's flattering then, I guess. Just use, okay. The, the, the controversy is that uh, Frank's cast-off, after years of running the Volksbühne, um, has not had his contract re renewed and another man is taking over. Uh, and this has set the whole theatrical scene uh, alight and everyone's been whinging about it, complaining about it, writing about it, protesting about it um, and making a big political storm about it. But um, to explain why this is happening at all, do you mind telling us, Conrad, who was Frank or is Frank Kastoff and why is he controversial, famous or loved or hated? Well, he's been running uh, the um, Foxbuna for nearly 25 years. And he is like, he's famous because he started, and, and that is, you know, he, he became famous in East Germany and he started this whole, um, uh, he, had, he started this very unique and very, um, his own style of theater. And it was always like extremely destructive and avant-garde and like, you know, quite, I mean, he was, he kind of like if you've ever seen one of his shows, he kind of he kind of takes the play apart and rebuilds it from scratch. Like he doesn't even use plays; he often just uses a novel or something else. And everything is like his his um, rehearsal idea is basically he just lets the actors wander around on stage and he just watches them for a while. He doesn't tell them what to do, and then That's they just like <laughs> that sounds really easy. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. smart. Like he's very like he like he. For him, it's like really, he's not interested in like, in like uh, a, a sort of strict formal theater. It's more like let the actors work out the situation for themselves. And, it's, and it was very unique and it's very um, sort of iconoclastic. And um, I don't know if you've, I mean, have you seen any of his plays? I saw two hours of one and then I <laughs> left because there was two hours more remaining. And <laughs> I mean, I, I love him. I really love it because it's one of the reasons I even moved to Berlin. Like, is that people don't even like, I, yeah, because it's like, because I saw like a production he did when I first came to Berlin was a, of um, Streetcar Named Desire, and um, it was just it was just mental. Like, he was just like he had the stage on like these pneumatic um, uh, sort of lift, and he kind of tipped the stage up halfway through, so you couldn't you could only see the underside of the stage, and all <laughs> the actors had to crawl up to the edge to be to be seen, <laughs> and then they would like they would interrupt they would interrupt the, the play and start singing like a Britney Spears song and throw playing cards into the audience. There's a scene in Streetcar where they're playing poker and then they just started singing like, uh, like I think, oops, I did it again, like a, a cappella, and then just started throwing the playing cards into the audience. They did it for like five minutes. And, then <laughs> the first, like, and then at first it's just like, oh, this is, you know, this is, this is funny. And then it goes on a bit and then it goes boring again now. You can stop doing that. <laughs> and then it's getting, they do it for so long that it's funny again. And it's like, it's like, and it's like, and you go, oh wow, it's like the most, like, 
And, and I've just never seen anything like, because if you come from like British or American theatre tradition where it's all like, you know, we're going to do a play, like we're going to put on stage something that you could, you could imagine, like you could just, like a real situation. And with this, it was just like anything could happen. And that was something like really exciting for me. And there was Man. a lot of naked people as well. Ooh. <laughs> you got to check out Blue Man Group. <laughs> You'd fucking love it. I, maybe I, yeah, maybe I'd like It's a bit like I, that. The one show I saw cast of do, uh, yeah, there was a lot of like crawling around and nudity and yelling about Hitler, and it was it was very in your face, and it got a bit. T- and there were, I will also say, there was about fifteen people in the audience too, by the way. Uh, um, so it wasn't his most popular show, I guess. Um, but so yeah. cast of after all this time, he was running the theater, put on lots of productions. He did a lot of opera work as well in other theaters. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, the city decided not to renew his contract, which is up uh, up for renewal. And this sparked this controversy where the actors started defending him. And um, they were particularly annoyed because the man that was an, um, named to replace him uh, was Mr. F- uh, Chris Diercon. And Chris Diercon is Dutch, I believe. Belgian. Uh, Belgian. And he has, for the last many years, been running the very famous and successful Tate Modern Museum in London. Yeah. Which is not a theater. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, what you didn't know is this whole time, that's been an interactive performance art. (laughs) Yeah. Is that the reason they're upset? Yeah, they're not. The thing is about cast off, it's a bit of a red herring cast off because people can, like theater people in Berlin, the community, they can kind of get the idea. Okay, he's been there for 25 years. He's probably not, doesn't really have many new ideas anymore. They can sort of, they they can take it, the fact that he's going. But the idea of Chris Durkon taking over, and he's gonna, he's, what, his plans for the theatre, he doesn't want to make it into a theatre anymore. He wants theatre just to be one, he said that, he wants to be one of like several pillars in the artistic project. So you're going to have modern dance, and you're going to have film, you're going to have uh, music, and all this other stuff. And, and the theatre's going to be reduced. And, um, and it's going to be essentially turned into like the other theaters that are like more like where they have a lot of guest shows coming in like the how the sophienseele the radial system they've they we've already had all these we have a lot of these um uh these these theaters where there's a lot of different de- guest productions who come in and do different things and it's and it's taking away something that was uniquely berlin the fog's been a it's like it wasn't just cast off but the people before him like piscato the, the other intendanten they were they were part of this long tradition of german theater and they were very Berlin, and, and, it, and it had its own, and it had its own um, like identity the whole time. It was supposed to be this sort of socially conscious avant-garde theatre, and that is just going to be like that. It's just too sudden a break for people to take, mm. really. Like so what you're saying is, like, let's give them a chance and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what a lot. Yeah. What Yuri's got a view on this? Well, I agree. Uh, I agree with the fact that it's probably okay for Kustov to go. Um, what I didn't agree with is that the folks been a staff. They in summer last year they penned a letter, yeah, addressed to to um, people in politics, the Senate, um, basically screaming at them about what a horrible idea Durkin's appointment is, and um, the polemic used in that letter was just kind of a little bit one-sided and and just yeah, you just laid it out much more. Um, <laughs> like yeah, they were ang- they were angry. I mean, uh, yeah. Because, but they're about. also worried about their jobs. I mean, a lot of them think they're not going to be employ- employed in the new theatre. Is it not uh, similar to the point we made about, uh, or you made about Holm, Dan, where you know someone else isn't someone else can have a go at some point, maybe uh, for this job? Does it, ha- does it have to be cast off? Do, 
does it have to be this way? Can we try new things? Or does it have yeah, to always be? I mean, be I think that, yeah, no, like I said, it's not, it, it's not the idea you can't try something new, but there's also the idea that this is, this is the way Berlin theatre is going now, that, that there's, no, there's no identity to any of these theatres anymore. It's just this sort of, oh, we'll put on this show and they'll put on that show and we'll see what happens. It's like, the, it used to be like, it's just a, it's just a death of a, it's like the slow death of a, an old style of German theatre that's going. Mm. And, it's, and it's particularly happening in Berlin, which has like a lot of these theatres, especially in the 70s and 80s. There used to be, in, especially in West Berlin, there's a Freie Volksbühne, and all these theatres are sort of slowly dying. And, and this would be like a massive nail in the, that coffin. I, I love living in a city where one can court controversy in theatre by putting the actors in clothes and having them read scripts. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. And do you know what he's going to do? He's going he's to have, um, he wants to build Durkan. He wants to build a, a mobile stage at the Flughafen Tempelhof. I did read about that one. Yeah. Oh, I, my oh, perspective is that maybe we could, he, he did a good job at Tate Modern. He made that place very dynamic. Maybe he, maybe he could be all right. Maybe he'll give him a go. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But. See what Argue! <laughs> yeah, no, okay. Hey, Tate, Tate Modern's free entrance. Maybe Volksbühne will be too. I mean, some people think it's going to be boring. Like they, they, it, they, I thought it was a good comment actually from Thomas Ostermeyer from the from the Schaubühne. He said, um, "Like it's fine for us because it just means we're going to get more people in our theatre because <laughs> okay. he just thinks that it's like one less bit of competition." And he thinks that what they what they're planning, what Durkan is planning to do, is not going to be anything new. And it's just we've had it all. So Durkan takes over in a couple of months, uh, and there's still a little bit of time of cast-off reign. So if you would like to see one of these iconic pieces, there are still a few playing. So I'd encourage yeah. you to go and. Get a ticket. You can get last-minute tickets pretty cheap at the Volksbühne. Yeah. You can He's do what I did and walk out after two hours if it's too much. Uh, how how heavy is the German? What, what do you what? Yeah, what it's scale? really hard. I mean, it's also like don't. I mean, I wouldn't. I maybe would don't start with one of the Dostoevsky nights. Like he does <laughs> a lot of Dostoevsky, and they're like five hours, and it's just a lot of people shouting. And he does a lot of with video cameras where. Um, you've got people in a room that you can't see on stage. This room is on stage, but you can't look into it. And there's some video cameras inside it, and you're looking at you're just looking, staring at a screen for about half an hour, watching these people like muttering in a corner. <laughs> Naked. Sounds great. Get along and see it soon. <laughs> so he, this is his last season. So he's going into the summer. So, so if you want to catch a glimpse of the end of an era, head along to the Folkspooner and catch uh, one of Castoff's show. Um, thank you very much for coming on, Conrad, and talking thank to you. us. And we look forward to having you back again sometime soon. And yeah, in the meantime, you. check out News des Nachrichtens, Conrad's yeah. own show. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Conrad. So uh, we just discussed the somewhat shaky start of the SPD and the Linke in the coalition. Um, they're not alone. The Greens are also having uh, a few rough spots in, in their own agenda. Um, the head of the Greens in Berlin is Ramona Pop, and she is the Senator for Business, Energy and Services. And she has recently angered her own party members because she is refusing to give up her Abgeordnetenhaus mandate in order to become... Uh, this uh, senator of business. And just for a bit of background about how Berlin's political system works, you've got the Abgeordnetenhaus, which is the parliament, and they are elected by the people. The parliament then elects the Senate, which is the executive branch, so they're the people who actually do the jobs. They're like the ministers. Now, you, to be a senator, you don't necessarily have to be a member of parliament, uh, and anyone can be appointed, including experts and people who aren't even members of their own party, which is the case right now. Um, the Greens have actually appointed a CDU person to be one of their, um, to one of their senators because... Uh, uh, they, they think they can do the best job. Um, 
Also, it's not necessarily uh, the case that you have to give up your seat as a parliamentarian if you become a senator. But that is what the Greens have as their own internal rule. The, the Greens believe that the parliament should control the Senate and that the people in the Senate should not be members of the parliament. Um, and they passed a rule about that in December. And uh, Ramona Pop, however, doesn't agree with this rule and she would like to stay. Yeah, she was directly um, elected to parliament, which means that um, the first vote, where people vote for one person exactly to represent them in parliament. Um, so she argues that she feels it's her responsibility to keep representing these people that put her faith into her and, and, and says she would yeah, basically just, it would be irresponsible of her. She also says it's quite rare for a Green Party person to get directly elected to the parliament, so they should hang on to that seat well, if they can. Well, they would still have the seat, but the, yeah, she doesn't think they should give it up so easily. Yeah, and, and some party members just disagree and, and figure this is untrustworthy of her. Yeah, they said untrustworthy. That's pretty harsh, isn't it, from your own party? Yeah. Uh, especially for someone who's, you know, been appointed the head of the party and the main senator. And the, she's actually the mayor of uh, the mayoress of Berlin. Berlin has three mayors. We've got the, 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 re the ruling mayor, uh, My Michael Müller. We've got um, Ramona Pop, and then also the guy from the Linke, Klaus Lederer, who's also the mayor. And it should also point out that these rules don't apply to all parties. It's just the Greens who have this own little internal rule. And who knows what will happen. She's having a little standoff with her own party members, basically. Yeah, we'll see. She still has a great name. All right, you guys, you might have noticed, listeners, that I wasn't here for the last show that we did. And that is... We got I so many letters. Where's <laughs> here? Oh, the show wasn't. Oh, we, we got, got so tons many letters. Of emails, yeah. yeah, emails. That's what we use now. <laughs> <laughs> um, that where, was where I was, was batting carrier pigeons yes. away. It was. I was on holidays. I was for the first time in my life ever over New Year's. I was in New York City. I see. Ooh. Everyone else, everyone <laughs> else has already waved. been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not a Did big you deal, like it, Yuri? Yeah, it's such a, it's so cool. And I, I thought, you know... <laughs> this just in, guys. <laughs> you know, I thought I kind of knew all about it from watching Sex and the City, for example, as a teenager, and, and all these other shows. And But I, I was still is so that, is, surprised. Is Sex and the City, is that your, your like... Your every, I think everyone grows up with some who didn't grow up in New York City. Has some. Mine is based on Ghostbusters. Seinfeld. Like, that's everything I know oh, about Seinfeld. New York City is in Central Park West, but... Anyway, I, I was so surprised. So many big buildings in Manhattan. I, I did. I was actually. It was so much. <laughs> <laughs> they have skyscrapers. So many. What, yes, what even, we know they have skyscrapers <laughs> there. What even did you see the Statue of Liberty? Did you see the Statue of Liberty from afar? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Can we get to the Berlin context part of this? Yeah. There I just wanted to. Okay. So I like the skyscrapers. That was that was so cool. I felt I felt so at home there. That I was feel great. like Fievel just came back. And <laughs> so now to um to um connect this to our city Berlin that we usually talk about here, um which is also more interesting to people. Was that segue just to brag that you had a vacation? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the most smooth. Okay, right. so uh, Berlin has a new senator for urban development and housing called Katrin Lomscher of the Linke. She was the one who appointed, appointed home to the position. That's yep. the one. Yeah. And uh, she is not a, a fan of building tall. In 2015, there were some plans, or the plans were actually done in 1993, and they were revised uh, in 2015 for high rises at Alexanderplatz. And these plans envisioned nine skyscrapers to go up on, on the Platz there. And so far, two of the high-rises are planned out to detail and are likely going to be built. And one of them is a, uh, a building built by an investor from Moscow 
who's planning on building a 150 meter tall tower right next to the Alexa shopping center main entrance. That skinny bit of land there. Yeah, so it's going to go... Tiny, tiny little bit of land. Yeah, well, big enough for this kind of building. And they're going to have some commercial use and housing in there. And the other one is right next to the big electronics store called Saturn or some other planet. That's another really tiny <laughs> piece of land. Yeah, and uh, well, <laughs> I guess that's, that's what the plan I is, find the tiny bits of land. You're fascinated by narrowness of buildings. <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing I did on holidays. I saw the narrowest building in the entire world. Jack Chow's insurance in Vancouver. Back to Berlin, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Lomscher has long been criticizing these plans and is now going to revise this plan and is, and is anticipating a change. The two ones that I just described, however, are still going to go ahead. Um, another contentious project is a tower of 19 stories on Fisher Insel. That's um, the south end of Museum Island, um, where... Yeah, there, there's been this plan for this 90-story building that was actually going to be built by the city-owned company VBM. Uh, and she doesn't like this project either because it's not very, it's not very well accepted by residents on Fisher Insel. So she doesn't like tall buildings and she's revising the plans or may revise the plans to build lots of skyscrapers in Berlin, which obviously you're not going to be happy about, Yuri. Yeah, Her, yeah well, I, do, I love them. I'm biased now since I've been to New York. <laughs> <laughs> I think also this, uh, her argument for not wanting the towers on Alexanderplatz is that they would ruin the urban form and they would ruin yeah. the view of the TV tower. I, I don't have much time for these uh, arguments about um, wanting to freeze a city as it is because I think cities are always places of change. And um, because when you think about it, somebody could have made the argument before the TV tower was built that, no, we shouldn't build that because it'll ruin the urban form and it'll ruin the skyline. But now exactly. we all love the TV tower. And, you know, but the TV tower is 100% of the Berlin skyline, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, we don't have a skyline. We have a, a, I mean, I love it. I, and I do love that, that that is the shape. But, like, maybe we could just, like, stick the tall building somewhere that's, like, really has absolutely zero character. Not that Alexander Platz is, like... You know, it's dominated by one but thing. But also, you know, the, the platform, the view platform on TV Tower is at 203 meters, and the two buildings planned are 150 meters tall. So it's not like it's going to, the TV Tower is going to be dwarfed. Or it's no Trump Tower at 200 meters or something. Um, <laughs> and, well, you mentioned, Dan, that there, you think the, the tall buildings should go somewhere else, where there is a place that they're going to go that is very unexpected for skyscrapers, which is just down the road from us here. Um, on Sonnenalle, across the road from the Estrel Hotel, which is already a pretty big building itself. Yeah. But they've got permission to build what's going on there, Yuri? Uh, uh, they're building a 175-meter-tall building there. And that's, that's definitely going ahead. Lomcha has nodded it off. Yep. So Neukölln is the new Manhattan, man. But <laughs> you can tell there's some, some kind of uh, debate going on about high-rises in Berlin. It's, it's rather contentious. And so the coalition has agreed to produce a high-rise plan for Berlin where they want to outline the, the skyscraper future of the, of the city. I, I mean, I'm like, don't, you know, I get the whole, like, don't, don't change anything perspective. That's fine. But eventually, you have to put more things in places somewhere, right? For some people to live in, for example. All right. So we're almost at the end of another episode of Radio Spätkauf. Um And before we go, though, how we've got a few little announcements. The first one is we want to uh, give a shout-out to our friends over at Mobile Kino. Uh, they are doing a Javier or Xavier or Javier Dolan program. <laughs> how do you pronounce that, somebody? Correct me. Xavier Dolan. Xavier? Okay, there we go. Uh, he's really? The 
the precocious French-Canadian director who's made a bunch of pretty uh, fantastic films. And they ha he has a new one out, and you can catch that as part of the Mobile Kino program. They're doing a big screening at uh, Babylon Mitte with English subtitles, um, because it'll be in French otherwise. And they're also showing a bunch of his uh, old, older movies as well. So check out Mobile Kino uh, if you want to see some really... His, his movies are pretty great. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to see it on Wednesday. The second thing we want to say is that we here at Radio Spakeup would like to uh, ask our dear audience if they would be interested to please help crowdfund our show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't beg. I'm a terrible beggar. J I'll beg. Get it's, back for us. Yeah, just g give us some money. <laughs> I have to buy diapers. <laughs> uh, no, the show the show's, uh, will always be free, but it could also uh, not be free. If you so desire, there's a, the thing on our website. I've never been to our website. Yeah, I there's, a, there's a donate button. You click donate, and you can donate one euro a month, five euros a month, ten euros a month, just to keep us going. Yeah, no more than ten, guys. Can, Let's, you, donate, come on. can you donate just a set amount once? Yeah, just you can transfer me however much you'd like, guys. Also, like, let's say uh, hypothetically you worked at like a, 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 a business that wanted to advertise directly to like our thousands of, of like English uh media consume like oh hey we'd like to sell more burritos you just give us money and we'll tell people to buy your burritos or and your books or will. whatever like it's fine we'll just that's yeah that's called a sponsor that's, that's what it's called a sponsor and we won't send you bankrupt like the last one we promise so yeah if you're interested please support us go to radiospecalf.com and click on the uh the donate button and you'll figure it all out now dan uh, you have any events coming up uh yeah i do have a few events coming up uh, i'm starting a new open mic at cooper bar i meant to bring my flyer with me because i can't remember any of the details like the address or it's wednesday, it's wednesday nights starting february 1st i will plug it through all of our various uh social media channels except for maybe the instagram because i forgot the password and uh <laughs> do that i also like to uh thank the uh the nice listener who gave me a good deal on a change table um, <laughs> and also uh, thanks that was really nice you guys and uh, I'd like to thank my parents who are here today because I, I we wouldn't have this podcast without them truly <laughs> um, and also I, I meant to say this at our year-end one but I want I wanted to thank uh, Joel and Maisie and Yuri for doing this podcast with me it is a very special part of my week when I record it or my month when we release it or what it, I just like it I like it thank you guys I want to thank you guys for that and also thank our audience for showing up here and for listening at home it's uh, I okay well that got weird yeah <laughs> anyway I feel, I, feel like, I feel like it's an awards night or something it is right. yeah play, I should put, play the music to make myself <laughs> stop talking <laughs> oh they're playing me off guys sorry all right so that's the end of our show. Thank you for listening. Thanks for coming along, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Bye. The News in English.